As we've just been going through the book of Romans again, man, we get to the, to the last chapters of the book of Romans, right? Only 16 chapters. We're in chapter 12 right now. And, and, and we get to more of the, the practical application of all these things that Paul's been teaching this whole time. We, we've been just hit with some heavy doctrinal truths here in the book of Romans, right? Paul has, has explained to us, uh, uh, taught us how we're justified by faith alone in Jesus Christ alone. How he's made us now beloved in the Father. How he's uh, how God through his Son has now uh, forgiven us, right? He made he's made us righteous, and and all things that belong to us, all spiritual blessings that belong to us as children of God by faith. And now he gets more into the practical application, and we've seen as we get into the chapter twelve and so on of the Book of Romans that Paul now is going to focus on uh, the believers' relationships, uh, that is with each other. We're going to see that uh, in light of what God has done for us. How our relationship to God should look like in verses 1 through 2. And then we're going to see uh, what our service to God should look like now that we're serving God through these spiritual gifts that he talked about uh, in verses 3 through 8. And now we're going to see also our relationship to others or to other believers here in verses 9 through 21. And so starting there in verse 9, he begins by saying, Now let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. He says, cling to what is good. Verse 10, be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love and honor, giving preference to one another. And we'll stop right there. And so he says, let love be without hypocrisy. Right. Now, in verses 6 through 8 of that same chapter, just the, the previous verses, we see that Paul mentions seven gifts of the Holy Spirit, which are, which are imparted to the believer to minister to the body of Christ. That is the church. And I'm going to read them for you from verses 6 through 8. He says, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, he says, let us use these gifts. He says, if prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. He says, if ministry, then let us use it in your ministry. He says, he who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberality. He says, he who leads with diligence and he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. So we have seven gifts mentioned in these few verses. Prophecy, ministry, teaching, exhortation, giving, leading, and mercy, right? And now Paul mentions here in verse 9, and the eighth gift, right? There's 21 gifts of the Holy Spirit in total that the Bible talks about. Romans chapter 12, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter, chapter 12, and Ephesians chapter 4. You can read about them right there. So this is not an exhaustive list. This is just some of them. Uh, Paul mentions eight of them. And so in verse 9, Paul gives us the eighth gift mentioned now in this chapter. And that's the gift of love. Right, which is probably the most important gift. It is the most important gift that, that, that is mentioned there. It's one of the most important gifts that the Holy Spirit imparts to the believer. Now, interesting that the love, the, the gift of love is, is also mentioned in 1 Corinthians. And now, in 1 Corinthians 12, 31, Paul says this. As he talks, that whole chapter, talk, chapter 12 about spiritual gifts, about the spiritual gifts that God gives to believers Right for the edifying of the body, that means uh, for 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 our service unto each other and unto the Lord. God has given the believers gifts according to His will, meaning that each and every one of us, as we believe by faith in Jesus Christ, God has given us spiritual gifts. Right? May we may not all have the same gifts. Right? Our gifts differ. Some we might have some in common, but our gifts differ. And even even though we have some of the same gifts, the operation of how God uses them in and through our lives may be different. Right, and so Paul mentions the, the, this this list of gifts in chapter twelve of First Corinthians, but at that last verse of chapter twelve, he says this in First Corinthians twelve thirty one. He says, "But earnestly desire the best gifts, 
He says, and yet I show you a more excellent way. So after giving us his list of spiritual gifts in chapter 12, he says, you're to earnestly desire the best gifts. And then he says, but you know what? I'm going to show you the best one. When he says, I show you a more excellent way, he says, I'm going to show you the most excellent gift. And then he goes on to give this, uh, this explanation of the best gift that the Holy Spirit gives. And that's this. There in 1 Corinthians 13, starting verse 1, it says, Though I speak with the tongue of men, with tongues of men and of angels, but I have not love. It says, I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I can remove mountains, but have not love. He says, I am nothing. And verse 3 says, And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, he says, Man, it profits me nothing. He says, Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. It's not puffed up. Does not behave rudely. He says, Love does not seek its own. It's not provoked. Thinks no evil. Does not rejoice in iniquity. Love rejoices in the truth. He says, It bears all things. It believes all things. It hopes all things. It endures all things. He says, Love never fails. He says, but whether there are prophecies, he says, prophecies will fail. Whether there are tongues, he says, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it would all vanish away. Right? And so chapter 13 of, the, of 1 Corinthians is, is, is commonly referred to as the chapter of love. Right? And we see, oh man, that's where, where, where love is personified, where love is described. But really in the context, we see that Paul is using chapter 13 to describe the gift of love. Right? More than just the action of love and more, more than just God's love. He's talking about the gift of love that, that, that is imparted to the believers. And so as Paul encourages the believer to walk in and use the gifts that God has given us, he says, hey, but don't neglect to use them in love. Right? And it's important to note that the most spiritually gifted individual right, is ineffective and is of no use if he doesn't have love. Paul would say there back in First Corinthians, he says, man, if, if you're... Like the most gifted individual, the best teacher, the best evangelist, the you have you hear from God, right? You have, you get prophetic word. You have all these gifts, but yet you don't have any love. He says you're like the sounding like the sounding of the brass, right? Or like a clanging cymbal. We live on a cul-de-sac uh, across the main street, and there's this one car that me and Liz are always like, man, that car's always going off. The alarm is so sensitive that anytime. Uh, a, a motorcycle or a car with a loud muffler passes it I think just goes off and it goes off for like 30 minutes right and we're like man does anybody not hear this thing and it's always going off like at all hours of the night we're like oh man there's that car again right and Paul says hey man if you're so spiritually gifted but yet you have no love man you sound like that car that is just so annoying right you're just oh there he goes again man right because you could just feel it like man you could be so talented you could be so gifted but yet you don't have love for the people you don't have love for one another you're just, man, you sound like that car, right? You get on people's nerves, you don't know, you're like, oh man, no one even wants to hear you. And so Paul says, hey man, as we exercise all these spiritual, uh, all these spiritual gifts, he says, don't neglect to use them in love, which is the most important of all gifts. And he says, let love be without hypocrisy. Notice that, let love be without hypocrisy. Interesting that this word hypocrisy, right? In the, in the original Greek, it's the word anukryptos. Which means an unfeigned, sincere, undisguised, right? Unfeigned, sincere, undisguised. In the ancient world, uh, it, was, it was actually, uh, th this term hypocrite, right? It was actually used in Greek theater back in the ancient world. And it was used referring to the, the stage actor 
of a player who was pretending to be someone he was not as he would, would just change masks, right? This guy would, would, would go, he would be on stage, he'd be the main actor and he'd change these different masks, he'd play different characters and he, he'd pretend to be somebody he wasn't uh, to tell a story on stage. He was called a hypocrite. Oh, that's the hypocrite, that's the main actor. Right? And interesting that, 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 that that's where this word comes from, hypocrite. And so Paul's saying, hey, as believers, the body of Christ, we're to show love and we're to be sincere in our love. Right? We're to be sincere in our love. Now, not everyone may have the, the, the actual gift of love. But like Paul said there in Romans 5.5, 5, he says that lo the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. So though not all of us may have the actual gift of love as a, as a, as a spiritual gift, we all have the love of God poured out in our hearts. We all have the Holy Spirit dwelling in our hearts, right? And, and we're able to show that love of God to others. Now, Paul says, again, let love be without hypocrisy. And, and we see that hypocritical love is, is not love at all, right? It's feigned. It's, it's unsincere. It's insincere, right? There can be no hypocrisy in love. Love is pure, right? People see right through that. I mean, you can't fake love. You can't, you can't pretend to love, right? People see right through that. No matter, like, no matter how hard you try, you can't manufacture love, right? It's a fruit of the Holy Spirit, right? It, it's, a, it's a gift of the Holy Spirit, and it's a fruit of the Holy Spirit in our lives, right? You've been around, I don't know, if, I've been around people who, man, they try so hard to, to pretend like they're loving, and you could just tell right away, right? It's like, man, and they can only pull it off for so long, because then eventually, you know, the, the, the truth comes out, like, oh, man, this guy's all irritated already at me. Hey, you love me, bro, right? And so, and so Paul says, hey man, let love be without hypocrisy. I mean, man, let it just be sincere. Right? And one way to, to just let your love be sincere is by just allowing the Holy Spirit to just flow through your life. As you seek God, as you submit to God, as you uh, 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 allow God to just work in your life. Right? And experience and, and, and know the love of God for yourself. Man, you're able to impart the love of God to others as you've walked in it. Right? There's this, there's this story that Jesus tells there in, in the Gospel of Luke. Right, where he was in the, in the house of some, of some Pharisees and, and uh, some religious leaders. And he's in there, he's eating with them. And then this lady just comes in out of nowhere and begins to just cry at his feet. Right? And the religious leaders, they, they begin to whisper at each other, man, if he knew who she was, man, he would be like, don't touch me, lady. Because right? she, she had a reputation. And Jesus, knowing their thoughts, he says, man, he says, you know what, dude, since, since I came into your home, you don't, have, you don't offer me something to drink. Right? You don't offer me a towel so I can wipe my feet. We get this lady since she's got here, you know, she hasn't stopped crying at my feet and, and wiping my feet with, with, her, with her hair. Right? And then Jesus says something uh, very important. He says, he who is forgiven of much, loves much. Right? And so if you're having a hard time loving, then, then that means that, that you're having a hard time experiencing the love of God in your own life. Because a person who has experienced a true forgiveness and love of God in their life, right, is able to express it. Like you're walking and you're just overflowing and you're just like, man, Lord, you love me, I'm such a... Jerk, I'm such a this that yeah, you still love me, you're forgiving me, you call me your own, you embrace me, and you just you're just overwhelmed with the love of God, you know what to do with it. You just want to express it to everyone you come in contact with. That was Paul. And he says, Let love be without hypocrisy and abhor what is evil. He says, but cling to what is good. Abhor what is evil, but cling to what is good. Now that word abhor, I know it's like an old English word. We never I've never heard anybody use it. Right, but but abhor means, you know, to regard with disgust, with disgust and with hatred. So he's saying, you're to hate evil, right? You're to hate evil. You're like, oh, I thought we're Christians, we're not supposed to hate. Paul says, hey man, hate evil, 
Right? The Lord would tell us, hey, to us who, who belong to the Lord, we are to hate sin. We're to, we're to hate evil. Right? It doesn't mean like, like, oh, I don't want nothing to do with it. Right? I can't be around these individuals because they're sinful. No, not like that. Right? But you're to hate the actual sin. You're to hate the actual act of, of, of evil. Right? He said, abhor what is evil, but cling to what is good. Right? So it's a two-part thing. You're to, as, you, as you hate evil in your life or as you hate evil in the, in the world around you, you're to cling to what is good. As you, as you, as you distance yourself from, from, from the evil in your own life, yeah, you're to cling to what is good. It says, hate evil, depart from it. It says, don't associate with yourself with it. it says, but instead, cling to what is good. And when he says cling, it means like, man, hold on to it for dear life. Right? If you're, if you're, if, if, if you're you know, uh, on a ship or something in the middle of the ocean, and, and that thing is just rocking like crazy, dude, you're going to find the most sturdiest uh, pole or, or, or handrail to hold on to. You're going to cling to it. For dear life and Paul saying hey cling to what is good hate what is evil but instead cling to what is good cling to it with with with, with all you got right he would say this in Philippians 4 8 he says finally brethren whatever things are true whatever things are 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 noble he says whatever things are pure whatever things are of good report he says if there's any virtue and if there's anything praiseworthy he says meditate on those things Right? It's easy to get caught up in all the evil in the world. Man, you turn on the TV, go on social media, and go outside, and it's like we're just bombarded with just all kinds of evil around the world, right? We live in an evil world. Satan will, I mean, Jesus will call Satan the prince of this world. Meaning that, man, you look around us, and the agenda that's being uh, pushed out there today, man, it's the agenda of Satan, right? He's the prince of this world. Now, God's going to redeem this world one day, but until then, man, Satan is just running around thinking he owns everything and he's got uh, uh, influence, no doubt. And so it's easy to get caught up in such evil, right? It's easy to, to be discouraged. It's easy to, to, to fall into this, this trap of despair and think, man, things are just so dark. There's no hope. And Paul would say, no, look for those good things, right? And cling to what is good. Cling to it with your life. Whatever things are good, are, are just, are true, are noble, are of good report, are lovely, Right, there's any virtue in, the, in those things. If there's any praiseworthy, he says, meditate on those things. Right, when it comes to the topic of anxiety, man, it's easy to just think about all the things that, 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 that plague us and drown us and, and get caught up with all of our worries. And Paul would say, you know what, just, just focus on the good things right, and meditate on those things. Right? And he says, continuing on, he says, be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love. In honor, giving preference to one another. Right. He says, be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love, giving preference to one another. Um, I like how the New Living Translation puts it. Puts it simply, it says, love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring one another. Plain and simple. Love each other with a genuine affection and take delight in honoring one another. Now, this is actually a command from the Lord that Paul is expounding on. And it tells us that Paul was, was very familiar with the words of Jesus during the first century. Right? And, and Jesus there in Matthew twenty two thirty seven says, says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. He says, This is the first and great commandment. And the second one is like it. He says, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. He says, On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Right? Someone came up to Jesus, one of, one of the, 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 the lawyers of the law, and they tried to trip him up and they said, All right, Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? Right? They're trying to... Get him in a get him in a corner, like oh man, what's he gonna say? What's he gonna say? Right, so they can argue with them, and 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 they thought that they were gonna be able to trick Jesus. And Jesus says, "Hey man, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your all your mind, all your soul, 
And the second one is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. He says, on these two commandments lay uh, the law of Moses. Right? And interesting that if you look at the Ten Commandments, the first five are, uh, are, are talking about man's relationship with, with man. And the other one is man's relationship with God. Right? Love your neighbor. Uh, do not bear false witness. Uh, do not commit adultery. All these things. The first five are your relationship with, with each other. The other ones, the other five are your relationship with God. So Jesus says, hey, look, man, just love God, love people. And that's it, man. Just keep it simple. Love God, love people. And in that, <laughs> you fulfilled all the commandments. And so Paul, again, expounding on Jesus' words, he says, be kindly affectionate to one another. He says, with brotherly love and honor, giving preference to one another. Man, notice that, giving preference to one another. It's so contrary to what the world teaches. The Bible says, hey, give preference to one another. Honor one another. Right? You become lowly so that your brother can be exalted. Man, it's so contrary to what the world teaches because the world teaches us to look after yourself first. Right? Man, you pay attention to really what the, what the world is pushing out there and it's all about you. It's all about you. Right? Uh, they, it's all right. Make sure you get ahead first. Make sure you're the one that's served. Make sure uh, uh, you're, it's your name that's known. Right? It's you, 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 you. That's why those self-help books are so popular. Right? Because it's all about me. How can I become great? How can I be my best version of me? How can I, all these things, right, that focus on me? And the Bible says, man, it's the other way around. Right? It says, put others first. Paul would say, of course, inspired by the Holy Spirit, he says, man, he says, seek to honor uh, each other. Right? He says, give preference to one another. Now, it's actually something that, that, that he, he talks about it there in Ephesians 5.21. He says, submitting to one another in the fear of of God right now it's easy to put our own opinions and wants above someone else's right but Paul will say hey man instead submit to one another in the fear of God it's hard it's hard especially when when it comes to ministry right it's hard to submit to one another in the fear of God why because hey man I got a better idea oh I, I someone comes and I, they say oh, I, I feel like the Lord is leading me to do this you should do it this way Oh, I feel like uh, God is putting some... Oh, how about we, instead of that, we do this? And it's like, hey, man, just, just submit to one another. Right? It's hard, especially when it comes to ministry. And so Paul would say, submit to one another in the fear of God. Right? Then going on in verse 11, he says, not lagging in diligence. He says, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer, distributing to the needs of the saints, he says, given to hospitality. All right, so he says, do all these things as we diligently and fervently serve the Lord. All right, he says, rejoicing in hope, patient and tribulation. Rejoicing in hope and patient and tribulation. Now, as believers, you know, our, our attitudes as we're, as we're going through tribulations, because we're going to go through them. Right? Being a Christian doesn't make you exempt from suffering. Being a Christian doesn't make you exempt from tribulation. Jesus said it. In this world, you're going to have trouble. But be of good cheer, for I have come, overcome the world. Right? But as believers, our attitude as we're going through tribulation and trials should be that of patient rejoicing. Right? The Bible encourages us to be patient in our tribulations, to rejoice in the midst of our tribulations. Not for our tribulations, but in the midst of them. Right? Not rejoicing in the trial, that's impossible. I don't think anyone's ever gotten hit with something heavy and said, oh, thank you, God, for letting that car run into, 
smash into me or thank you God for letting me you know lose my job or not right we don't no one has ever said that unless you're crazy and the Bible doesn't tell us to do that but he says rejoice in hope during the tribulation right rejoice in, in, in the hope of knowing that God is working this thing out not in the actual circumstance itself because those things are some things some of those things are horrible that happen to us so it's not rejoicing in the trial itself, but rejoicing in the fact that God is sovereign over that trial. And, and the fact that we have hope that God is working something out. Like he would say in Romans 8, 28, that he causes all things to work together for our good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. That's what we're rejoicing, right? And the hope that God is still at work, that God is still in charge, that nothing has slipped through, through his fingers. And he's still got it under control, right? Now, people should find comfort in our fellowship. He would say, you know, he says, continue on with this, with this, with his uh, just practical Christian ministry. He says, keep on praying, right? He says, uh, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer, distributing to the needs of the saints, and giving to hospitality, right? Keep on praying. Uh, he says, when God's people are in need, be ready to help them, and be eager to practice hospitality. Just practical Christian ministry. Right? You want to know what your life should look like as a believer? Man, there it is, Romans 12. Romans 12. Again, rejoice in hope, patient tribulation, con continue in prayer, distributing to the needs, right? and just giving to hospitality. And so Paul is saying, man, people should find comfort right, in our fellowship. If you're a believer and you've been walking with the Lord for any amount of time, people should find comfort in, in, in your fellowship. Right? People come to us to be built up, to be loved on, to be encouraged, not to be beat down. Man, just... We get beat up enough as it is out there. Right? People come to us to, 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 to find encouragement, man, to, to, to get a, a sigh of relief. It's unfortunate that sometimes, you know, uh, they get the opposite, but, but as believers, you know, we're to man, encourage one another. Right? People are to, are to find rest when they, when, they, when, when they come to you. And I like what Paul says there. He says, at the end, he says, distributing to the needs of the saints and giving to hospitality. Right? As a believer, man, we're called to be hospitable right? I love it when uh, you go to someone's house and, and man you just they make you feel right at home right? they make you feel like hey man I, I, I'll just be here all the time man. I love it when you're here you're just it's, you're right at home man you're just, don't worry you go to the fridge grab what you want <laughs> you know make yourself a coffee whatever feel at home right and, and you can feel it man you, when you walk into someone's house like that and you just feel comfortable right you feel like you're at home and, and it's, it's, it's that hospitality that they're offering right and it just feels so good in verse 14, he says, bless those who persecute you. He says, bless and do not curse. He says, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. He says, be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your mind on high things. He says, but associate yourself with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. And so he says, bless those who persecute you. He says, bless and do not curse. And so as believers, again, as we're going on with this practical Christian ministry, what the life of the believer should look like, our relationship to God, our service to God, our relationship with others. He says, we're not to hold grudges, you know, but instead we're to bless those who come after us. That's what he says, bless those who persecute you. Now keep in mind who Paul is writing to at the, at the time. The Roman church in the first century was heavily persecuted. And a time where you had the Roman emperor Nero who was, who, who was blaming the Christians for a huge fire there in Rome. Right, he began to persecute the Christians, going to their homes, drag them out of the churches, drag them out of their homes. He would, uh, he would rally them all up. He would uh, take them to the stadiums and, and in front of large crowds, crowds put, a, put on this show for the Romans, right? And he would just feed 
the, the, the Christians to the lions. And they would, put, they would just make this show out of it. People would, would, would go to the stadiums, to the Coliseum, and they just watch these Christians run away from the lions and eventually get eaten. All right? Then, he, then the, this Roman Emperor Nero, he would take the Christians, he would tie them up on, on stakes, he would set them up around the, the city of Rome, and he would uh, dip them in, 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 I forgot what that thing is called, kerosene. And he would just light, light Rome on fire with these Christians. And yet Paul is saying, hey, bless those who persecute you. He says, bless and do not curse. I don't know about you, man, but I'd be on that stake cursing Nero. <laughs> Get you, man. Hope I come back as a ghost. I'll haunt you. <laughs> I don't know. But that's our inclination, man, as human beings. Right? It, it's hard to, to, man, when someone's doing this wrong, man, it's the hardest thing to do is to pray for them. The hardest thing to do is to say, Lord, bless them. Lord, bless them. Lord, however you see fit, bless them. But Paul says, hey, man, that's what we're supposed to do, right? Not hold grudges, but instead bless those who come after us. And there will be those who come, who come after us. Now, that doesn't mean that you bless them. You're like, all right, cool, man. Let's be best friends. If they're, man, if they're doing you wrong, it's okay to keep a safe distance. You know what? All right, I'm just going to bless you from a distance. You know, you hate me. You're doing all this stuff against me. God bless you. But you know what? You don't have to associate yourself. It's okay, right? But he does say, be blameless on your end before the Lord. And that's what we're called to do. On our end, we're to be blameless before God in our hearts. Right? We're to guard our hearts against being hardened, man, against those individuals. We're to guard our hearts against, uh, against being sinful before the Lord. Right? Jesus would say, be angry and do not sin. It's okay to be angry, right? Being angry is not a sin. But it's when, when, when you allow that, that anger to take root in your heart and, and begin to distort your view of the world, your view of that, of that individual, even your view of God or each other, so that's when it becomes sin. Just be angry and do not sin. So guard your heart against this hardening toward another believer specifically. Paul's writing, right? Now it's unfortunate that a lot of these attacks, man, they come from within. It's like some of the things that you experience in the church, unfortunately. The things that you would expect to experience out there, right? And man, there's a lot of hurt in the church. Why? Because we're dealing with a lot of people who are immature, a lot of people who are still growing in their walks, a lot of people who maybe, uh, man, have... have just have, don't have a strong personal time with God, so their, uh, you know, their view of God is distorted, right? Their theology is all wrong, and so they're, it's being displayed by the way they act towards one another. It's unfortunate. But even more of a reason to bless those who hurt us, right? Especially if it, if it comes from the body of Christ, because Jesus died for them too. And that's heavy. When someone in the church hurts you, and you're like, man, that's heavy. But you think, man, well, Jesus died for them on the cross, right? Jesus died for them too. Now, whatever they do with that, man, that's, be, that's between them and the Lord. And then he says, again, he says, be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your mind on high things, he says, but associate with the humble. He says, do not be wise in your own opinion. So he says, be of one mind with one another, right? Be in unity with one another. That's what he's talking about, man, be in unity with one another. All right? He would tell us in, in 1 Corinthians that, man, when, that we're all the body. We're all a part of one body. That's the body of Christ. And when one member suffers, we all suffer. And we all suffer. I was talking to my buddy Danny yesterday. I told some of you guys. And uh, he called me from that program. He's like, hey, bro. Uh, he just told me he's doing really good. I'm like, man. When he was telling me these things, I had like the hugest smile on my face. I couldn't stop smiling because I was so happy for him. Right? And when I told him, hey, bro, you know, the guys have been asking for you. You know, and, and we're praying for you. He starts crying. He's like, man, bro, I feel so good, man, to know that you guys are praying for me. I feel it, man. I feel it. I was like, yeah, man, we're one body. Right? When, when one is rejoicing, we're all rejoicing. 
And when it's hurting, man, we're all hurting. We feel it. And so he goes on to say there in verse 17, he says, Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. Repay no one evil for evil, but have regard for good things in the sight of all men. And he says, if it is possible, and as much as depends on you, he says, live peaceably or live in peace with all men. That's hard. He says, repay no one evil for evil. The Old Testament in the book of Leviticus, as we're going through it on Wednesday nights, says, hey man, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And I say, hey man. <laughs> but Jesus would say, no man. He says, repay no one evil for evil. But instead, hey, bless those who curse you. Right? Bless those who, who spitefully use you. Paul would say again, repay no one evil for evil, but have regard for good things in the sight of all men. Meaning, hey man, wish good things upon him. Like, all right, Lord, I'll do that. He says, if it is possible, as much as depends on you. Notice that it doesn't say, as much as depends on the other person. But it says, as much as depends on you. It says, you do whatever you can, whatever is in your power to live peaceably, live in peace with everyone, with all people. Right? Whatever they do with that, man, that's between them and God. But you do your... You, you on your end do what you need to do to make sure that you're blameless before the Lord and that you're doing everything that you need to do to be in peace with them. If they don't accept it, well, you offered it. Right? But us on our end, we're to, we're to extend peace, extend grace, extend forgiveness and, and, and seek to live in peace with all those who have hurt us and with men. He says, with everyone. And in verse 19, he says, Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Right? And so just because Paul says, he says, Amen, don't, don't repay anyone evil for evil. And just because he says, look, as much as it depends on you, live in peace with everybody. It doesn't, he's not saying, uh, be a doormat. He's not saying, hey man, let everyone step on you and stomp all over you and, and walk on the mud and then come and clean them on. No. He says, instead, look, bless them, pray for them, do what you can on your end to, to live in peace with them. And he says this. Again, he says, Don't avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. Not my wrath, not our wrath. But then he quotes actually from Deuteronomy 32. And it's God speaking. He says, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. And, and, and this is true, that man, that God defends his kids. Right? We're his kids. He's going to defend us. Right? He sees what's going on in our lives. He sees the hurt that we're going through. He sees how people have abused us. He sees how people have hurt us and unjustly, right, with no cause. And God's not saying, all right, man, well, come on, just keep going. Just forget about it. Come on, just keep walking. Get over it. No. But instead he says, hey, vengeance is mine. Right? Don't seek to get vengeance for yourself. Right? Know this, that if you defend yourself, then God can't defend you. But if you allow God to defend you, then he says, hey, look, vengeance is mine. I will repay. I will repay, says the Lord. Right? And we know that God's justice is perfect. God's justice is perfect. Me, I'm too heavy-handed. If, if I seek to give someone justice and vengeance, man, I'll probably go overboard. Or maybe I'll, 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 I'll keep some back. But man, God knows how to deal with people, individuals, in a perfect way. Right? Because he's God. So he says, don't avenge yourself, but instead, hey, give it to the Lord. Give it to the Lord. He says, for vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, verse 20, and now he's quoting from Proverbs. He says, if your enemy is hungry, just feed him. If he's thirsty, he says, hey man, give him something to drink. He says, for in doing so, you will heap coals of fire on his head. That's like this burning conviction over their head. 
man, when somebody treats you wrong, right, does all these things to you and say, you know what, man, God bless you. It's all right, man, Jesus loves you. Hey, bro, I, I wish you the best. You see him, you know, out there on the street begging for food or begging for money, and instead of saying, nah, you're driving by him, honking your horn, man, pull over, give him something to eat. And the Bible says, in doing so, it's like, man, it's like you're, you're heaping this, these burning coals on his head. I mean, it's like this burning conviction, you know, that's just weighing over him, knowing like, man, I did this person so much wrong, and yeah, look, here they are still, like, blessing me and seeking to love on me. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a burning conviction, right? This, this, this burning conviction that, that, that you'll put on someone's head as you just repay, man, good for good. And then he says this, in verse 21, he says, Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Now, know that the Bible would never warn us against something unless we were susceptible to fall into that thing. So when he says, do not be overcome by evil, it's because there's a temptation and there's an inclination and there's a chance of us falling, falling over to evil, right? And being overcome by evil, the evil of this world. So the Lord warns us here through the Apostle Paul. He says, man, don't be overcome by evil. Again, as we live in the midst of an evil, wicked, corrupt world, and there's just so much darkness. He says, don't be overcome by it. But instead, overcome evil with good. In John chapter 1, as, as, as John is describing Jesus, he says, uh, He is the light of the world. And the light shines in the darkness and the darkness cannot overcome it. Your Bible may say comprehend, but that word really means overcome, right? And, 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 and the darkness cannot overcome it. And so how do you overcome the, the darkness, the evil of the world? And by, 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 by one, submitting to the Lord. Right? Believing in Him by faith and, and, and as a result Being adopted into His family Being a child of God And just filling yourself With the Word of God man. Desiring to be in the presence Of Jesus at all times Because the darkness Cannot overcome the light And that light is Jesus And then we get to this portion now Chapter 13 Sorry I don't think it was the notes uh, Chapter 13 now uh, As he's been talking about Submitting to to each other, right? Our, our relationship with each other, our relationship with the Lord, our relationship with the world. Now we're gonna, he's going to talk about our relationship to uh, the state or even like uh, governments specifically, right? Those in, in ruling positions or really ruling authority over us. And he says this in chapter 13, he says, Let every soul be subject to governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God. And the authorities that exist are appointed by God. He says, therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God. And those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. It's hard to believe this, man, when um, you've had run-ins you know, with, with certain law enforcement. You're like, man, dude, you're so corrupt. Right? They know you by name and you know them by name. You're like, man, you got to watch out for this guy. Cause, and and th- that exists. But I'm not saying that all law enforcement is like that. For the most part, all the law enforcement I know, they're like spot on, you know, right on. i got a lot of... Uh, uh, friends who are in law enforcement, but because of a few, you know, like bad seeds, man, they give the whole department a bad name, right? And most of the brothers I know, man, they're they're good, solid dudes, and and, and they just they seek to to just bring justice, right, and, and to protect the weak, to protect those who are who are, who are who are vulnerable. And yet the Bible tells us, hey, let every soul be subject to governing authorities. And then he says, and if they're there, know that God put them there for a reason, right? The Bible says that God is a God of order. And imagine what the world would look like with no governing authorities, with no uh, uh, no cops, right? No, no no police. Man, it'd be chaos. It'd be anarchy. It'd be, man, every man for himself. 
right? You'd be, uh, remember that famous video of the rights in the 90s of that, of that, of that uh, Korean, uh, Korean guy on top of his, his liquor store with the, with the gun just protecting his store. He's like, man, that's what it would look like if there was no governing authorities. And Paul would say, look, the governing authorities who are here on earth are placed there by God. And he says, for there is no authority except from God. And the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God. And those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. And so the Lord's desire is that we would submit to governing authorities. Right? There's one exception. Unless that governing authority is causing you to go against your faith in Christ. Right. When they're in the book of Acts, when, when, the, when, when, the, when the rulers would, would come up, uh, up against Peter and the, and the guys, and they would say, all right, man, you know what? You can't talk in the name of Jesus anymore. You got to shut up with that. Peter's response was, hey, look, man, if it's right in the sight of God to obey you or to obey God, he says, you decide, man. But us, we're going to go speak the name of Jesus all day long. And that's what they did. Right? And they continued speaking the, the, the name of Christ until uh, they died. And their resistance to the government and speaking the name of Christ actually brought them to death. It was the reason why all these guys were martyred. It was the reason why all these guys got killed because they resisted the government and continued to speak Christ. And I say, Amen, Amen. Right? That's the only exception is that is that when it goes against your faith in Christ. And of course, I mean, if someone's causing you to go against your conscience again and and to sin against your conscience, then that's when you can say, you know what? This is where I draw the line. This is where I draw where I draw the line. It says, verse 3, For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good. He says, and you will have praise from the same. For he is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is God's minister and avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. So therefore you must be subject not only because of wrath, but also for conscience sake. Right? He says, man, he says, uh, uh, the authority that's there, he says, it, it's evil to the guy who's, it's bad to the guy who's doing evil, right? But to the person who's doing good, he's like, I'm not even tripping, right? When I was driving for like eight years with a suspended license, I, every time I would see a cop in my rear view, oh, man, it's Jake, I try to avoid him, I try to, you know, go into a parking lot, I try to go to a gas station or whatever, it's like, man, I drove 24-7 looking over my shoulder, it was horrible, right? Because I knew, man, I'm in the wrong, I'm in the wrong. And if I get pulled over, then they have every single right to take my car, to add another, you know, drive and spend a license charge on me. And they did. I got like six of them. So I eventually took care of them. Six, got stopped six times for driving with a suspended license. I'm not saying, you know, I'm not saying that to glory, but I'm just saying like, man, I, I was terrified <laughs> driving, right? But I still, I still did it. And, and I was like, man, those guys suck, or those guys are evil, or this and that, right? I was talking bad about them, but I was the one that was in the wrong. And, the, and, and Paul tells, look, man, th- th- those governing authorities are, are, are evil to those who are practicing wickedness. But if you're good, then <laughs> you, have no, you have no reason to, to be afraid. Right? And it's true, man, now that I have everything right, I'll drive next to him. I'll go, hey, what's up, officer? Be at the red light. I'll say, morning, man. God bless you. Cool, man. Right? I don't trip. Why? Because I have everything good. Right? And my conscience is clear and I have nothing to worry about. And it feels good to just be free, man, to be free and to be able to go wherever I want at any hour of the night and I know I'm good and so he goes on to say verse 5 says therefore you must be subject not only because of wrath but also for your conscience sake it says for because of this you also pay taxes ouch for they are God's ministers attending continually to this very thing right he says render therefore to, to all their due taxes to whom taxes are due customs to whom customs it says fear to whom fear and honor to whom honor 
Right? He's saying pretty much basically as believers, as Christians in the world, right? Hey, we're to be just good law-abiding citizens. Right? Man, be an example. You know, be an example to the rest of the world, right? Of, of what uh, the love of Christ looks like, right? Of what a, a, a life that is now submitted to, 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 to the love and authority of God looks like. Right. You're, being, you're going to be an example to the world I heard someone say And you, you probably heard it too It's uh, like a famous saying man, You might be the only Bible someone ever reads right? Most people will never pick up a Bible and go through it But man, they'll read your life And they're like, hey, something different about him Something different about her oh, dude, You're a Christian I knew it, right? You're just so different He says, be an example And then he says, love your neighbor And there in verse 8 He says, owe no one anything Except to love one another for he who loves another has fulfilled the law. He says, Oh, no one anything except to love one another. Right? So you want to be indebted to somebody, man, be indebted to them in love. Man, I owe you, man. I love you. I owe you. He says, make this, uh, make this the condition of your heart. You know, consider yourself indebted to one another in love. Meaning like, man, I- I'm indebted to love you forever. If I, see, if, I didn't, if I saw you today I didn't love you man I owe you I, I, I'm indebted to love you So Paul is saying Owe no one anything Except to love one another For he who owes he who, he who loves another Has fulfilled the law For the commandments You shall not commit adultery shouldn't, shouldn't murder You shouldn't steal Should not bear false witness Or lie says, Shouldn't covet That's uh, want someone else's things And if there is any other commandment They're all summed up in this saying You shall love your neighbor as yourself for love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Right? So Paul puts it very simply for us. You don't have to get a copy of the, of the law and put it in your back pocket and say, all right, make sure I don't do this. Make sure I don't do this today. Uh, make sure I don't do this this hour or the other day. All right, cool. You go throughout the day thinking, all right, I hope I don't do this. I hope I don't do this. Oh, I got to watch myself. Just, no. Just keep it simple. Just love, man. Because if you're indebted to someone else in love, then your desires are going to be just pure. Right? You're not going to want to do anybody wrong if, if you love them. You're not going to want to uh, you know, take advantage of somebody if, if, if you love them. You're not going to want to you know, harm anybody or, or, or say anything spiteful right, to someone if, you're, if, if you love them. So he says, man, just all that is summed up in this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. He says, love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Right? It's all love. And I'll finish with these few verses. It says, and do this, verse 11, knowing the time that now it is high time to awake out of sleep, for now is our salvation nearer than when we first believed. Man, Paul is saying, I urge you guys to practice these things. I urge you guys to, to put into practice these things into your life. Why? He says, because now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. Meaning, Paul believed in the imminent return of Christ. You know, which is what we believe today. Paul believed that, that just like Jesus said, that he was going to come back for his church. Right? He would he were write in there in First and Second Thessalonians about the rapture of the church, meaning uh, that he knew that Jesus was going to come back for his church at any given moment, right, unannounced. And because of that, he says, look, I urge you guys to apply these things to your life because Jesus is coming back at any moment. He says, our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. And now this is Paul writing in the first century. Here, were, here we are 2,000 years later. And if Paul had this sense of urgency, like, man, Jesus is coming back. We've got we to gotta start practicing these things. We've got to start living this way. And here we are 2,000 years later. And how much nearer is it than when Paul said these words? If Paul in the first century said, look, man, our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. 
Man, it's even nearer now. Right, so the urgency is even uh, 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 higher. There's a higher sense of urgency now. Right, because we know Christ is coming back. And he says in verse 12, The night is far spent, the day is at hand. So therefore let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Right, so he, he, he describes this, this twofold action. Taking off and putting on. He says, cast off the, the darkness, cast off the old works. He says, but instead put on the armor of light. Right, it's twofold. You can't just cast off and walk around like that. He says, no, cast off and put on. Cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. He says there, it says 13, let us walk properly as in the day, not in, revel, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy. He says, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. So there in verse 12, when he says, put on the armor of light, now in 13 and 14, he says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. So the Lord Jesus Christ is that armor of light. When he says, cast off those works of darkness, just cast them off and put on Christ. Right? Put on that, 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 that new man, the, the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. Why? Because when you put on the Lord Jesus Christ, when you, when, when you, when you put on the mind of Christ right, and seek to please God according to His Word, it's not saying that, that to, all right, you're to put on Christ and you're to uh, try as hard as you can not to fulfill its lust, not to, not to uh, make any provisions for the flesh. No, but it's as you put on Christ, the natural byproduct is that man, you're not going to have any provisions for the flesh. Why? Because man, your mind is saturated with the things of God. Your mind is saturated with the Word. Your mind is saturated with the things that please God. Right? And so the natural byproduct is, hey, you, you get out what you put in. You're putting on the mind of Christ. You're putting in His Word. You're putting on the, all these things that please God. And, and you're getting out, man, what you're putting in. All these things that, 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 that belong to the Lord. Right? So as you put on Christ, the promise is that as you put on Christ, you're going to make no provision for the flesh to fulfill it's lust, but instead, to please the Lord. Amen? Amen. Well, anyway, right there. Father, just thank you so much, Lord, for...